You know, sometimes you get to spend a fun evening out at the opening weekend of a local cabaret. Sometimes you find yourself fighting for your life against zombies, evil fish, and evil zombie fish. Allow the cast of Cthulhu to be your guide to the world of cinematic Lovecraft inspirations from the superb to the truly cosmically horrific. I am Jim Rohner. And I'm James McCormick. And today we will be talking about 2013's Dark Sea, written and directed by Rodrigo Edegao. Um, first and foremost, apologies when I when we preface that we were going to do this. I call it a Spanish language film. It is not. It is Portuguese mm -hmm. because it takes place in Brazil. So I am sorry. I, I didn't want to come across as a xenophobe or a bigot. That was honestly just not knowing anything about the movie. And then once it starts, like, oh, yes, it, it very much takes place in a quiet fishing village of Brazil. Or is it quiet? <laughs> um, this is um, I, I feel like I was I, I was editing and publishing the uh, Deep Ones episode recently um, and had forgotten that the Deep Ones was my idea and Dark Sea was your idea. Right, right. Um, and I apologized and said, you know, Leviathan was right there. I feel like this whole theme for August could have been we could have done Leviathan, but instead we opting for water-based summer kind of movies went with the Deep Ones, which we were not fans of this one. And then this movie, which one is not Lovecraftian in the slightest and two... No, no as I texted James, is entirely unhinged. <laughs> which, 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 funny enough, I had not seen it before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But makes perfect sense why I would pick it. It's, yeah, it, it was funny because I was, I was kind of reading some, the IMDb reviews as I was watching this movie, because it starts out kind of slow, very low budget. You get the sense yeah. of how low budget is because there's like a lot of, especially at nighttime, like everything is kind of shot with one light source. Everything is kind of, mm -hmm. um, overexposed to some extent the performances are kind of really bad because they're all non-professional actors and a bunch of reviews were saying oh this is the goriest film i've seen since brain dead and like halfway through the movie I'm like what are these people talking about right and then once they get to the cabaret oh okay this all now, makes sense now. yeah now 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 it makes sense like because right away when it gets to like that point on i mm. the first two filmmakers i thought of were peter jackson and sam raimi Mm, and, yeah. and you, you it, it's right on the sleeve for Rodrigo. Like, like it, there's no denying it. And, but, but then it also kind of makes me think of other filmmakers like, um, like, uh, I'm trying to think, I mean, hell, even like someone like Guillermo del Toro, people with weird monster designs. And like, you can mm -hmm. tell there's a lot of love put into this film because the guy, I think, um, Rodrigo Aragao is also like a special effects guy. Mm. And, you could tell because the special effects are, for the most part, pretty freaking good. Like, yeah. they're pretty goopy, gory. The fish creature that we see at one point looks like horrific looking. Like, it's like, oh, I don't, I wouldn't want to mess with that. And then, like, the stingray monster and, mm -hmm. yep. and like, and you know, it again, we've talked about this in the past where even if a film that doesn't have a high budget, and I think this was, I don't know if it's in, in the same. Like three, it was like three hundred thousand. I don't know if it was dollars or. It, I think it, it it equated to something like one hundred twenty five thousand American dollars. Okay, it was the four the four the currency in Brazil was like three hundred thousand. Yeah, right. And every every penny is spent. And like, yeah, the hmm. acting's not the best, but <laughs> funny enough, it's not the worst we've seen either, which is kind of funny. Like, <laughs> like, like, like you know, some characters are like better than others, you know, and like, and you know, and you know, you're like, okay. I, I, same thing when I was watching it, I'm like, okay, we start off with a crazy, with a weird, crazy scene in the sea, and then it kind of slows down, and then, you know, it's like, you know, little things, little things, and I'm like, okay, 
I mean, I guess this isn't the best pick because at least, but like halfway through it, once we get like when the father, um, um, you know, uh, what was his name? The the fish. Uh, Perroa. Yeah, Snapper. Snapper. Yeah. Snapper. Like yeah. it's yeah. They, they refer to him as Perroa, <laughs> which is his character's name, but the subtitles call him Snapper. I know, which I laughed at, but like he, when he, you know, he's infected and like the the bite, actually, is like a mouth also. Yeah, and bites, bites his child's bites hand. His child's hand, and yeah. and again, you could set, you could see this is a small, rundown town because like, it doesn't really, you know, again, it's you know, it's you know, it's with subtitles and the trans, and like, you know, of course, my first thought is, why is like this beautiful woman with this older guy? But then it like, okay, it's a small town, probably one of the only people that actually make money in this town by fishing. Mm-hmm. And she already had this other child with someone else, because you could tell the dynamic because, like, the way he talks to one and the other, like it's, it's like little subtle things that I'm like, okay, you know, you're actually telling me more without like just throwing it like, you are my son and this is this, like, it's like, oh, come here, my son, you know, like, and you see that the dynamic is different between the two children with him, especially when he's infected now, yeah, and yeah, and then it just ramps up, and you know, I'm like. I'm in. I'm in for the ride. I'm like, and you know, and and, and that's the only problem with Tubi, because of the commercials. So I'm like, oh, oh yeah. man, it's getting crazy. And it's like, oh no, yeah. ten seconds to the commercial. No, please, yeah, commercial break. <laughs> please. Okay. Mm. Then it calms you down. You know, it's like, okay, I'll wait. Yeah, but this movie starts out. You you kind of get the sense in the first few minutes that there's some kind of shadow over Innsmouth vibes, mm. at least in the sense of yeah. this small village that relies. You can tell almost entirely on fishing for I, I i guess you could say um the economy but really the extent of the economy is we see one bar we see one cabaret and then that's pretty much it i mean once again very very low budget but everyone ever livelihood i guess depends on fishing and these two fishermen dredge up something which is absolutely horrific yeah um, that, you know, and, and you get the sense that this is infecting whatever caused this thing is infecting the ocean, the fish, and by, you know, by proxy, the livelihood of these people. So that kind of starts out like, oh, this is, this is going to be interesting. But then it, it becomes clear pretty early on, like after Pro is bitten, he's sitting down for dinner. It becomes kind of clear. Oh, no, th- this, this is a zombie movie is what this is. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it's a zombie film by way of infection from some sort of fish type of thing. And, you know, when you watch the trailer for it, it doesn't really, like, it shows you, like, infected people, but I'm thinking to myself, okay, it's a different take. No, no, this is straight up different take on a zombie film. Yeah. Nothing it, wrong with that, but it's like, that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's some type of virus, infection, whatever, which is spread through bites. The, fi- um, the, fi- the fish itself that they've caught. Yes. You know. Um, a, a stingray, which somehow is maybe the cause of all this, but we're not sure. Right. But the, <laughs> because we think it's dead, but then it comes back later as somebody's head. I don't know. Um, Insanity. It, it, now we we've complained on this podcast before, especially in our most recent episode on the deep ones, about how a mythology or rules of a universe don't don't exist or don't make sense. I will say. They don't make sense in this movie, but I'm also willing to forgive it because yeah. Aragao is pretty much like what he, he just wants to make like a splatter feature. Um, yeah. That's that's his primary motivation. And man, I did not like it gets gnarly. And I actually really kind of appreciate like how far 
gone and how unhinged and crazy this movie gets. Yeah, like faces being ripped off, like like stabs, like heads getting chopped off. And then my my favorite thing was when they chop off Pedro's head mm-hmm. and you think he's dead and they're going for the bot the pick up the bot and the body comes back to life and it's like this open wound where the mm-hmm. head was spitting out this black tar to infect everyone <laughs> in there. I'm like, holy shit, that's that's pretty creative. Like that's okay. And again, it's the creativity on on like on film that we've seen. Like, yeah, didn't have much, but you know what? Let's let's just have fun. And if you look at his other films, like that, I, I need to watch some of these other ones, like Night of the Chupacabras. So I think all his films are almost like weirdly interconnected too, because they make a joke about chupacabras in this one, and that was the film mm-hmm. before this. And I think the next one, like when we see later on, like basically, I think it's supposed to be some sort of demon or the devil to come to bring back someone to life and he and he goes back into the shadows i think that same creature is used in a like i think two or three years later in a um an anthology film that he's part of called dark fables or something okay and i and the cover is that same devil looking creature so i'm like okay so he has like you know intertwining you know and, and like again it reminds me of like another filmmaker um Alex A. Iglesias, who made, you know, everything from, like, uh, The Last Circus and um, mm-hmm. uh, Perdita Durango. Um, like, like all these weird, like, eccentric, just balls-to-the-wall craziness. And, like, I'm always going to be a fan of those, even if it doesn't always make sense. Mm-hmm. You, you've kept my attention, and I had a blast watching it, and, like... Just and uh, funny enough, this film also at the very end has a, uh, I guess you could say a little stinger, but it wasn't as it, it wasn't as offensive <laughs> as the other one from the deep ones. It's just a simple, <laughs> just a simple like, is it over? And then a hand coming up. Like, okay, so yeah. and again, this one almost feels like there could be a sequel too because it kind of ends with the albino character leaving. You know, you know what yeah. I mean? And like, I'll be back. And like, but he's never made a sequel. So like, but I could see that, like, if there's but who knows? With a film, with a filmmaker like that, maybe this does that just because that's what the, um, you know, the trope is. Oh, a horror movie. There's always a, a, a weird thing at the end, like someone mentions something, like, oh, there might be a sequel, even if there's never a sequel. There's that mm. thought that what if it does really well? Oh, well, <laughs> look, I, it's an easy sequel, right? You know. Yeah. Yeah, it's and reading just his his uh, mini bio on IMDb, which you know, how accurate is this? Who is the one that writes it? What insight or, or bias do they have? But right. says that um Aragao, yeah, was like his his father was a magician and a cinema owner, so he he got exposure to and fascination with like tricks and practical effects and how to do things like with your hands, like very early right. on. And it was apparently um, once Evil Dead was released, we mentioned, you mentioned Sam Raimi, that was sort of like, that's what got him into this making. And yeah, you see, you feel Sam Raimi in this, in the sense of like, not just how kind of bizarre it gets and how um, gory and horrific, but also it never gets really bleak or hopeless because there always is kind of a level of insanity and like tongue in cheek. I mean, especially, you know, once your cabaret owner pulls out basically some type of like, Tommy slash minigun to just unload on, um, you know, his zombified patrons or her zombified patrons. It's like, yeah. okay, this is, 
he knows what he's doing with this. This is not a guy who is who is making a movie which is totally mixed and, and we we're kind of laughing at unintentionally. Like he's he seems pretty well aware of what he's doing and has a pretty decent handle on it, even if the performances aren't great, even if the scope is very small, even if the effects in some parts are a little iffy. Like he knows what he's doing, and this sequence, once they once we get to the cabaret, once they pull Perroa in in the net and things go unhinged like this is he knew he knew what he was doing he knew everything was building up to this moment yeah I mean to me that whole scene with you know just the the basically his BFG the big fucking gun you know like <laughs> and, he, and again probably he played Doom as as a teen because that's something mm-hmm. that a lot of a lot of people in the nineties played like me and I bet you did too oh. you know I you did. know yeah. so like that alone and that whole scene is like his dead alive or brain dead scene where, where it's the, the lawnmower scene where he's just watering every <laughs> yeah. single, you know, mm-hmm. creature that's in front of him. And like, it's just how much fake blood can we use? And yep. let's just use gallons upon gallons upon gallons. And, but again, there's some like, like quote unquote little twists, like not even twists, but like, okay, so that's probably going to be the hero you know, or a heroic character. Now. And then, he gets killed by the singer because the singer, you know, lost like because of his shooting everything. He also shot Oso, the bodyguard for the singer, and yeah. like he was like a heroic character that I thought was going to last longer. So like mm-hmm. there, there are no rules. Like like basically, the people at the end, like I'm like like oh I didn't actually expect out of everyone these people to survive. You know what I mean? Like like even even yeah. the child dies. You know like he gets eaten by his own father. Like mm-hmm. and I and again, I always appreciate that where you don't know who's gonna survive. It's not it's not as atypical, you know, a stereotypical film where, okay, these two people are the heroes from the start, and we know they're probably gonna survive with whatever children and you know, whatever. No, it's like one child and the albino survive. And it reminds you know, that's it. it, it re- it reminded me a little bit of the first time I watched Return of the Living Dead, yes. um, mm-hmm. which I believe I watched on a Saturday afternoon on WPIX 11. Probably where I started to, um, yes, yes. And my brother and I betting each other, like, who's going to be the one to survive until the end? Um, now, the the joke there is nobody does because a, a nuke is launched and the entire town is blown up. But it, it was it's just that that idea, that spirit of, like, I don't know who like right. I don't know who's gonna survive until the end. Now you you do you do kind of feel like Albino is going to survive until the end because he's kind of our hero slash protagonist. But even then, he survives, but at the cost of what? Because when we meet him originally, yeah. you know he's he's dreaming that he's getting chased by people. It's clear that he's kind of an outcast within the village because of, of because of his his skin condition. Um, no one really respects him, uh, with the exception of the bar owner that he that has hired him. And even then, it's kind of like it's a father son relationship to a certain extent. But also, yeah. you know, the the power dynamic is clear. Yeah. He is in love with um, uh, in arena. I think is her name. Sorry, oh, in, I clicked I away. Think, from... I think Indiara. 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 Yeah. Um. He's he's in love with her. We can clearly sell, or we can clearly see that he's in love with Indiara. Yeah. But that's never going to work out. Um, and his initial, you know, his initial entryway into this whole undead conflict is he wants to save her yep. from what is going on at the brothel. But then the twist, the reveal, whatever you want to refer to it as, 
um, he's so obsessed and so consumed with this that he goes to the extent of like is willing to take her daughter and cast a spell to trade her life to revive um, Indiara. Right, right. And it's like, wow, you you are not the hero that I thought you were going to no, be. No, actually, hell, from even the beginning, we see he wants to put a love spell on her. That she'll, you know, yes. So he's trying to get a piece of her hair to like... And again, it, it's weird, because like, again, this book, which is like the, the dark book of Cipriano or something it's called, yeah, like I like think Rodrigo uses this in like other films later on. I think it's like the main plot point of like a 2020 film he made. I, I was looking cause I'm like, Oh wait, Cyprian. Oh wait, the same book. And about, but it's basically, basically his Necronomicon, like evil spells, yeah. but instead mm-hmm. like a spell book, kind of like the dark hold book, you know, from uh, the Marvel universe. Um, uh, <laughs> again, all the same type of concept, but he, yeah, he, again, you feel bad for him, but he's not, a, he's not a heroic character. He's kind of an asshole too. But, but yeah. you know, and again, like you said, he wants to sacrifice the daughter to bring her back. And then the one thing that, I mean, could have done without because really doesn't hold anything unless it's unless it ties into another film. And again, if, if it does, I apologize. The whole subplot of the guy coming in to take that book. Yeah, like, that like, was... like almost like you're thinking the book is going to be even more important to this story and it really mm-hmm. isn't much like it's just like yeah he's trying to use the spell after but then there's still all the zombie you know fish people even though we have that weird whale character the whale whale thing that comes out of nowhere yeah, the, yeah there's a, an undead whale yeah, on which, which i did not expect like i was like holy shit okay you're going <laughs> you're going out there but again i was like okay this is going to be more like part of the story but it doesn't it's just kind of like oh but it almost feels like that character that comes in there is from a different movie. You know, like he's coming in to get this book, and then he doesn't even take the book. He just hides in the room until the albino, you know, albino comes back. It's a very weird scene, like where he's like hiding there to get the book. Yeah, like I said, you know, like uh, the mythology and the the right. rules of this universe either don't exist or don't make any sense. This stranger shows up in town. Uh, who I assumed when he showed up, like, oh, he's here because the cabaret is opening. And that's what he wants to see. Right. But then he starts talking about books. And does anyone have any any books that I can buy? And it becomes clear as soon as he starts murdering people that he wants this spell book. But then the weird thing being, all he has to do is go in the back room and take the spell book, but seems to wait for Albino to come back to demand that he give him the spell book, which he could have easily just taken because he was there the whole time. <laughs> right um, right it's like okay yeah it, it doesn't it, and at first maybe i was i and then when it was clear that he was you know not there for the cabaret is like well maybe he was connected to those first three kind of weird cult-like zombie creatures that we saw on the beach that the the daughter runs into but which also where did they come from uh but right but there really is no connection. yeah he just kind of shows up to brutally murder um, people, you know, throws an axe into the, the bar patron's face, which is kind of fun, uh, kind of a fun time. But yeah, he doesn't really make any sense. The spell book doesn't make any sense because you would assume this was going to be either the cause of everything, um, the cause of what is happening at the village, or it's going to be the solution to everything. And sure, at the end, Albino does summon a demon to a certain extent, but that also is a demon for the purposes of resuscitating um, Indiara. Right. 
and that even doesn't work out so well. You know what? I'm looking real quick throughout the films that Aragao has made, and yeah, this is they're all connected in some way because in okay. in the Chupacabras film, which was before this, mm-hmm. there's another character playing Albino, but oh. but this actor Vildorama um, Dos Santos, who plays him here, must mm. have taken over the role for you know for Dark Sea, and then. Albino comes back even in a 2018 film called um, The Black Forest. So, like, and again, the Cipriano book is in that one. It's in another one. So, like, they're all inter- interconnected in some weird way, which I think actually is pretty interesting and, and a, a way to kind of, you know, characters that he likes just to kind of bring back and some maybe some films be a bigger character, some films be smaller. Mm-hmm. But again, so I'm, I'm guessing anything that this character that comes in for the book is in another, or at least a character like him is in one of the previous films. It has to okay. be. You know what I mean? It has yeah. to be. Which I like. I, li- yeah, I like that concept, you know, like the kind of connecting it and makes you go, oh, good, this character's back. But it's not like straight up, you know, Dark Sea 2. It's like, oh no, it's just another story that he happens to be within this world, you know? Yeah, and it's that is interesting, and yeah, even Cemetery of Lost Souls from 2020, yeah, Corrupted by the power of Cipriano's black book, no. a Jesuit and his followers begin a reign of horror in colonial Brazil until they be cursed to live forever trapped under the graves of a cemetery. So yeah, this is his his Necronomicon, and he's kind of created his own cinematic universe, which is yeah. good on him, man. Uh, and because once again, one of those IMDb profiles or, or mini bios kind of lauds him as being sort of up there in the importance to Brazilian cinema as, you know, as much as the legendary Coffin Joe, which I'm sure you know a lot oh, more about Coffin Joe than I, I do. I love Coffin Joe. I have... I have his films over there in, mm-hmm. on my shelf. Like, the, and he, he was like basically going against the uh, religious right that basically were c- controlling the whole country. Mm-hmm. He would basically go like, "No, here's Satanism. Here's well, basically like a big middle finger to God and stuff." At at a time when it's like you can't do that, mm-hmm. he did it, and he kind of opened the doors to basically really you know twisted horror and he did it up until the day he died a few years ago and like yeah well that that's actually cool that this you know it all makes sense then because his films were more trippy but they were gore in them but it wasn't like like this splatter gore they were more like kind of like arms like twisted arms and legs in hell like with you know just like women's like like you know boobs just kind of sticking out of hole like this weird shit you know getting back to Evergao, Dark Sea. I wanna this was also a, a weird movie in the sense of <laughs> not politically, socially, philosophically, whatever, kind of how how I like it seemed at first that we kind of had a interesting, subversive little film on its hand in the sense of it seemed like our protagonists were going to be uh, an albino who's kind of a social outcast, um, a woman. And then also not a hero, but someone who is going to be a sympathetic slash likable character is the drag queen who is running the cabaret. Because, yes, there is a drag queen, but the movie doesn't really and none of the characters really condescend to her, make fun of her or anything. It just just kind of is like, yes, of course, she is the madam of this brothel. Nobody actually actually almost it's a surprise when she takes the wig off. And like, I think one character kind of goes, huh? Like it's (laughs) surprised, which I kind of appreciated that part. It's like. Oh, so nobody knew. 
<laughs> it seems. Yeah. It, and, and nobody also cares. Well, I mean, nobody cares because that moment's like, hey, there are zombies running around. So who cares that this is a a, a, a man dressed up as a woman? But then flipping yeah. around at that same time, not just characters, but that character specifically. Oh, yeah. Also loves throwing the F word around as like an insult to people. It's like, oh, yeah, okay. yeah. It's like, I know that was that. I, I have to say throughout the, you know, I, I, I'm, you know, spoilers. I love this film, but that's the one thing that made me cringe throughout was like, oh, mm. don't, oh, again, risk. And really it all comes like, like 90% of it is from the drag queen character. Like, you, yeah, you says it. yeah. Like I'm like, I, I think throws it out at least twice to somebody. And, and like, and for, for that actual insult of like, you know, yeah. Be a man, stop being cowards. Like that kind of like, oh, all right. Like, right, right, right. Exactly. It's not, not just saying it just to say it. It's like, no, using in like the, the way that, yeah, it's a stereotypical, you know, mm-hmm. t- just a terrible way. And I'm like, oh, really? Did you? And again, I don't know what the politics in Brazil are, or like the the gender politics. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not sure if there's any listeners from Brazil. Please let us know because it seems like I don't know if it's just something in this film or is this something that's in, I mean, the culture. Because I mean, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you, I've watching, and again, this is Brazilian, so it's Portuguese. But again, in South American horror that i've watched and even like spanish horror i've noticed a lot of times that word or something like it is thrown around a lot even in mexican Mm -hmm. cinema and like i don't know if that's something with the culture like again like because like again give an example of in mexican culture even in the um the wrestling in lucha libre there's the Mm -hmm. rudos which are the bad guys and stuff the luchas, which are usually the good guys, and then you have the exoticos, which are mm. basically men that dress much more flamboyantly. Sometimes just straight up like they're playing or are gay, and mm. and and would get the crowd so heated to like to the point where they wanted to kill them. But, mm. but then there were some exoticos later on, and I think there's actually a movie being made. I think it's going to be on Prime with uh, Gail Garcia Bernal. Playing, I think oh. I forgot the name of the Exotico, but who became like the the Exotico that became like the the poster boy for like a heroic Exotico, like which was not a thing mm-hmm. there, you know. So, and that kind of changed. And again, I've watched the little Lucha Libre I've watched over the years. Yeah, they come out they're very flamboyant, but like you know, rubbing up on you know whoever they're wrestling, and the and the crowd goes crazy for it, you know. Like, and of <laughs> course the other wrestler like, I'm gonna kill you. But like, you know, it's kind of like what, in a weird way, what Gold Dust did here. But that was straight up like, is he gay? You know, like, come on, really? Like, <laughs> like really, we have to have these like sort of things in wrestling. And again, it's weird that like wrestling kind of ties in with cinema a lot with like stereotypes. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and again, and it's just sometimes the worst stereotypes or the most lazy stereotypes. And again, that's like what this, like using the F word just as an insult. It's like, mm-hmm. do we really have to go there? Just call him an asshole. Call, 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 call him a wuss, a wuss, you know, like, 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 or something. But, yeah. you know, it just feels like that's it's something ingrained in cultures and hell it's here too. It's in, you know, it's an America yep. culture. So this is something I wish we could get past, you know? Yeah, and it's a shame too because I was so on board to to be ready to have this to have the 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 
the madam kind of like be one of the heroes. Like I just right. like imagined, I imagine, especially after she pulls out that minigun, just kind of imagine the two of them at the end, the albino and the madam walking down the beach, their bald heads glistening in the sun. Like we're, we're, we're on a quest now to fuck up all zombies that we come across. And like, and, and we got these, this weird mismatch kind of buddy comedy yeah. sort of thing in a way. But then she kind of reveals herself to be kind of a bad person finds herself a, a a brutal end just like many people um and what we have instead is sort of a a bleak ending in a in a james mccormick fashion <laughs> in the sense of yeah um it's pretty much all hope is lost yeah. um our albino has devolved into a an incel who is trying to revive the corpse of his dead love meanwhile her daughter is stranded on an island filled with zombies and just kind of with no hope as to how to get off, how to cure, how to solve. And just kind of like, that's it. Like that's, that's the end of it. Basically. Right. Is she just going to wander to land and like learn how to like survive or does she die right away? We don't know. And again, it like, it's a very bleak ending again, did not intend for this. It just so happens to be, they find me. <laughs> I don't find them. They find me. Um, mm-hmm. But again, it's like, there's a lot of ways this film could have been, done and like you know rodrigo went that way and again it seems like these guys albi- the albino comes back in another future film so like again it seems like he has these crazy ideas and it's like okay that's the film you know that's the story let me go to the next one let me go to the next one let me go to the end and it's sad like it seems like he hasn't done anything since 2020 or 2021 mm-hmm. i think like like an episode of a show there and like I could see a lot with, you know, like this guy like feels like that cult filmmaker that select few people around the world, like find out and like talk about kind of like how Del Toro was starting out. But then Del Toro just like was like a lot of um, foreign filmmakers when they do a very highly acclaimed film, get touted to do some big budget, like kind of horror film or something here. And we know Del Toro was Mimic, as we all remember, the, the Killer Roach movie, Killer Roach People movie. Um, but Del Toro actually did a lot with that. Like, he kind of went his own way, one for them, one for him, one for them, one for him. And he's made an amazing career out of it. Um, and then some other filmmakers, they don't survive in the sense, like, they do an American film. And then they kind of, like, I guess you could say, quote, unquote, fail the test. You know, and then they go back to their country and keep making films. This, to me, uh, you know, Rodrigo Araga feels like a filmmaker that I could see doing a film here, but like it, I don't think it would work well for him. I think the the way he makes films, and if they're all like this one, yeah, I I don't think I think it's better just make your make Brazilian films, make them your own way with your own budgets, and like just go crazy, you know, because we know up here. Well, right now they're you know. Who knows when films are going to be made again? Um, unless they're not um, under SAG after or anything like that or the WGA. But um, it's just one of those weird things that, like, I, I love filmmakers like this. That you, when you find them, now I want to watch all his films. Like that's how I am. I get obsessive over film filmmakers like that. So I'm like, well, I got. And I think at least Night of the Chupacabras is on Tubi. So I'm like, well, okay, there's my next one. <laughs> I well, I know it's not Lovecraftian because it's Chupacabras, but this one wasn't either, so, but it could have been worse. You know, you know, it could have been worse. Where I could have, where I could have seen him fitting in, yeah, um, would have been something like 
if they were to make another ABCs of death mm. and to give him one of the shorts in it. Um, because there were so many filmmakers yeah. in there. Uh, I mean, obviously you have 26 short films, so many filmmakers in those two that are like, I'd never heard of who this person was right. before. Right. Um, and you know, and not to say that they've all gone on to do bigger and better things. And that was launching them to start them, but it, it was giving a voice to people, yeah. especially, you know, foreign filmmakers that like, here's five minutes. What can you do for me? And I'd love to see what he could do with a little bit of money in five minutes. Um, <laughs> it might be too much of a stretch to kind of like, or maybe he could have a segment in a VHS film. Who knows? You know, uh, but just, but yeah. Could I see him making a, a feature film here? No. Probably not, no. Um, but, but some type of anthology. I mean, hell, even sitting on my DVD rack outside is all the haunts BRs, which is, you know, several films like folk horror mm-hmm. collection um, have one of these movies like in, in, yeah, some type of collection of um, South American horror or yeah. whatever, just kind of a thing of like, you know, you, you could see, you could see him being a, if not significant, you know, filmmaker, but like at least for his region and for his country, like a, an important filmmaker, like a, a name that people know of because of how he approaches his craft. Like this right. guy, he, he's not half-assing anything. No, no um, not at all. Like I'd, I'd rather, you know, not to say that I, I loved either this or the deep ones, but if I like, I would rather rewatch this one over the deep ones like any day. One hundred thousand percent. Yeah. Like at least I know I won't be bored. You know, yeah, you know of yeah. course. And, you know, like I said, I was for the first half. I'm like, OK, where is this going? <laughs> and then as soon as like we get to the brothel and or the cab, they keep calling it it's a cabaret. A we a, clearly know what, what kind of yeah, establishment yeah. it is. Um. And they bring in Peroa in that net. I'm like, oh shit, things are going down. Go bad, bad to worse right now. <laughs> yeah, and, and and like I said, some of these like it was a low budget movie. You could tell all the money was put towards the practical effects because they're all non professional actors. It's clear all these locations are just somebody's house. Like that, the cabaret, the brothel is just somebody's house, which is decorated up to look like it's a bar with a, a staging area. Um, but yeah made it as cheaply as possible because all that money went to heads getting chopped off and eyes getting cut out when with like machetes and, um, you know, open wounds as mouths biting people and spraying bile over like that. That's what I went to. I'm like, Oh, this is, I appreciate what this (laughs) is doing. Even if I don't love it. It's funny too. Cause when I, when I said, um, to Corinne about like what you said to me, when you sort of film, you're like this, this film is unhinged. Mm-hmm. Corinne was like, is that a good thing or a bad thing for Jib to say? I'm like, you know what? I'm not actually sure. It could go either way. It could be like a really bad unhinged or it could be a good unhinged. And I'm like, so it mm-hmm. like, seems like it's more on the positive side of like, okay, it just went crazy. And like, at least it has that. Like, it has that frenetic, <laughs> you know, fil- you know, filmmaker that's like just just having a blast with his with his people. Like, just let's, let's just ga- douse everyone with as much blood and viscera as possible. And afterward, it just takes like everyone hours to wash it off, you know. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. If you if you told me that like Tarantino and Eli Roth were fans of this guy, I'd, I'd believe it. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure Tarantino's got, you know, some type of. 35 millimeter print of something that he's done, even though I'm sure this guy's never shot on actual celluloid in his entire life. But Tarantino had, had it turned into some type of 35 millimeter reel that he'll show at the new Bev someday. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I have much else to say about this movie. It's, 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 uh, you know, I don't want to say it's not ambitious, 
But, you know, it doesn't try to do much more than just provide a lot of gnarly, gross, over-the-top, you know, practical effects, and it delivers on those. Um, tries to get away with a few emotional beats. Mostly they kind of fail, but it, it's just kind of all window dressing to get us to, as you said, the lawnmower scene, or this yeah. the film's version of the lawnmower yeah. scene. Um, a good time. Uh, I would not necessarily recommend it to people, only certain people like, you know, yourself, had you never seen this movie before. Yeah. Uh, but I, I had, I had a fun time with it and I'm glad that, um, my wife was in the bedroom napping while I was watching it because it would not have been something that she would have. No, <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> what are you watching for? This is the, this is what you watch for the podcast. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I was, I was sitting down I was like, I'm going to go, I'm going to sit down. I'm going to play the last of us. I'm like, mm, I should probably actually watch this for the podcast. And then once I get into it, I'm like, uh, what have I gotten myself into? Um, but yeah, a, a fun time, if not a, a, a very good movie, still, um, yeah. if you're a certain type of person out there who enjoys this kind of thing, you are going to enjoy this movie, certainly. Um, but I say again, as I said before, we could have done Leviathan. It was right there. It was. It was. Any, any, either one of these. We, we, you know, Peter Weller, he was right there, man. <sighs> He's but, always there. Uh, what, one of these days, maybe next summer, we'll get to you, Peter <laughs> Weller. Um, but yeah, so that was um, that was Dark Sea. Uh, that is brings an, us to the end of August, which means that we are getting into September and a new crop of movies. Uh, what we're going to do, we're going to do some animated movies. We haven't really done animation on this podcast right. ever. Is that is that right? I, I mean, there's some animated sequences in some movies that we've yeah. covered, but I, I don't think we've done full on animation. No, no, we? I don't think we've done straight up animation. No. Okay, well, so, well, you know, a first for us here, uh, three years into this podcast, three, four, how, how long have we been going? I don't know, it doesn't, what is time? Yeah, yeah. Well, this is what happens when you start a, a podcast in a pandemic. Right, exactly. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, some animated films, uh, one, one of which, again, is a, a suggestion of mine, and one of which is a suggestion of James, so at the end of the month, you can decide which is the better. who of us you like better. Yeah, who's, who's a better one? Um, I went with something a little bit more traditional, we're going to go with um, Batman, The Doom That Came to Gotham. Um, a DC animated movie, An Ancient Evil Awakens, and only Bruce Wayne can save 1920s Gotham City. Um, I have never seen this before, but certainly uh, a melding of Batman and Lovecraft. I am all yep. for it. And uh, not even the first time these two cross over. Of course, Arkham Asylum. Arkham comes from H.P. Yep. Lovecraft, so his influence is um, ever-present, spreading its tentacles uh, across pop culture. And, you know, just looking at the, you know, quite a cast associated with yeah. this. We've got... Um, David Dasmalkian, um, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name. You've seen him all over the place, uh, a character actor who shows up in a lot of horror stuff. Maybe most famously, he was um, in The Dark Knight. He oh, is yeah. now in uh, The Voyage of the Demeter, which, and he's actually very good yeah. in that movie, and it's a shame that no one is going to see it because it's a very good movie, and he is very good. Um, Patrick Fabian in here as a voice. Uh, Jeffrey Combs, of course, as Kirk Landstrom, man Of back. course, there you um, go. You can't have a Lovecraftian movie without <laughs> Jeffrey, Combs. Um, Jeffrey Combs somehow. Oh, um, so that that will be that will be our first one. And then James has suggested Lily Cat or Lily C A T yes. um, from 1987. The expendable crew of a corporate space vessel must stop a murderous shape shifting alien organism that somehow got on board a Japanese anime that sounds a lot like mm -hmm. Alien, um, but with a cat. So yeah, we'll but see. I remember um, Alien. There is a cat. So. That's true, yeah, Jonesy. Jonesy. Yeah, yeah. So it's very, um, very. This, from what I remember, it's very tongue in cheek for like straight up like alien, the thing and the mm -hmm. thing. It's kind of like kind of both combined. 
Um, so this will be interesting. Not, neither of which uh, we've seen um, before. So, uh, well, James has seen uh, Lily Cat, but a long yeah. time ago. I have never seen either of these, so it'll be um, it'll be a first time for me. So uh, we don't know what to expect, just like um, you don't know what to expect in theory. Um, but yeah, that's that's what we got going on for September. Of course, um, we are the Cast of Cthulhu. Um, we are on Twitter. I refuse to refer to it as its um, other yeah. name. Um, we are Cast Cthulhu. There, you can find me as Nolan fixes teeth and James as Wonka kills kids. Um, catch up on back episodes at castofcthulhu.podbean.com or on battleshipretention.com, or shoot us an email at moviesofmadness at gmail.com. So that has been August. Those are our plans for September. We hope that you have enjoyed ourselves. Uh, be sure to tune in next time. We'll be covering Batman, the doom that came to Gotham. In the meantime, we'll be waiting and dreaming with dead Cthulhu in his house in Relia. Really